Good morning. Um, our scripture reading today comes from Exodus chapter 18, verses 13 through 23. There's a few verses that aren't in your bulletin, so if you want to find those in your Bible or phone. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is it that you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to, because the people come to me to inquire of God, when they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you're doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, men who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and, and they will bear their burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all the people also will go to their place in peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Anna. Well, we're, we're continuing our study of the book of Exodus, which we've been going through, and I'm so excited about this topic that we get to talk about today. A year ago, we were, uh, we were all involved in lockdown, and we were uh, watching church on Sundays from home, and a lot of us were not getting out as much as we used to. And so I had a book that I was reading during lockdown at this time last summer, and it was such a great book. The book was called The Splendid and the Vile. The Splendid and the Vile by Eric Larson, and is the account of Winston Churchill and, his, and the leaders around him in the first year of World, World War II when the United Kingdom stood alone after France had fallen and the U.S. was not yet in the war. Those of us that talk about the topic of leadership will often refer to Winston Churchill. This passage is a passage about leadership, but it's not just about uh, sort of capital L leaders like Winston Churchill or even Moses himself. But this is a passage for people like you, like many of you in this congregation who have been entrusted with leadership roles. Some of you are leaders in business. So I'm in touch with people, many, many people in our church around the city who have led their businesses well and who are in charge, been entrusted with that. Some of you are leaders in education, schools, other areas. Some of you are, are aware of the importance of political leadership. And we see in all of these arenas, whether it's the church, whether it's politics, whether it's business, whether it's education, 
we all see the advantages of really good leadership, but we also see some of the disadvantages of when leadership is not done well. This is a, a continuation of the story of Moses, and I wanna make, I wanna make about three or four statements about leadership that I want you to think about just by way of introduction because I want you to remember these thoughts. Whatever realm that you're in, as you think about leadership, think about these statements. First of all, leadership makes a difference. Leadership makes a difference. So we see that in the story of Churchill. We see it throughout our history. We see it in, in all sorts of settings. Leadership makes a profound difference. We saw that in Moses when he led the people of Israel out of Exodus in Exodus chapter 14 and the parting of the Red Sea. We saw it in Moses standing up to Pharaoh. We saw that God had called him to lead the people in that way. So leadership makes an incredible difference. The people of Israel by, by this time had grown to a million people it, by some estimates, but leadership makes, made a difference for them. The second thing I would say is that leadership is a risky enterprise. We saw that in the life of Moses last week from Exodus 17 where we saw the mutiny at Meribah. Remember we talked about that and we saw that leadership is a risky enterprise. All of you in this room that have stuck your toes in the water of leadership know what it's like to be on the front lines. You know what it's like to be criticized. You know what it's like to feel a mutiny like Moses did. Leadership is a risky enterprise and it is riskier in other parts of the world. For example, if you're a pastor in China and you have a visible position this day, there's a good chance you'll be thrown in prison. If you are a pastor in Algeria, they have closed the churches in Algeria. There are places in the world where it is a high risk enterprise to step up as a leader. So leadership makes a difference. Leadership is a risky enterprise. But the last thing I wanna say about leadership is that leadership is a noble task. Look at the verse inside your bulletin. It's there in the quote section and in the inside front page of your bulletin, a verse from 1 Peter chapter three and verse one. And it's really the touchstone verse of this sermon. The title of this sermon is The Noble Task. And it's the noble task of leadership. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 says this about human leaders, not just about Moses, but about everyday people like you and me, about human leaders. 1 Timothy 3, 1, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Let me give you a couple of observations about this verse. First of all, in the early church, Timothy was the pastor of a church in Ephesus. The Apostle Paul said that when he was in Ephesus, he fought wild beasts in Ephesus. It was a risky thing to be a, an elder, not, not to mention being a pastor, but to be an under-shepherd in a church, which this passage, passage is directed towards, Paul is speaking to people who knew that if they took the office of elder or the office of overseer, that they would put their lives at risk. It would be a risky enterprise to take that office because not only do you come under from spiritual attack, attack but in their cases, political attack. So it was risky to take that. 
Paul says, if anyone aspires, one of the things to, you want to trust God for when you think about the leadership of your church, again, I'm talking about elders, but other officers, other roles as well, is for people who aspire. The word aspire there does not refer to an un unhealthy ambition. We've talked about Bart and TJ, the work that they've done as elders. They don't do it to get an emotional payback. They don't get, do it to get strokes. It is not an unhealthy ambition that we're talking about here, but we're talking about aspiring to an office of being a steward for, before God for the people of God. So I want to make that observation about the importance of aspiring, of having that desire in your heart. Thirdly, it is to the office of overseer. Sometimes people are reluctant to take what we might call an official role because it just makes you part of the man. It's an organizational role. Let me say this to you guys. We believe in the significance, not just of informal leadership, but of formal leadership and organizational roles. There are offices, there are deacons, there are elders. These are very, very valuable roles high calling. It's not enough just to say, hey, I just want to kind of lead in this way, but you need to have in a church people that will aspire to the office and who will be and accept that responsibility. And so we need to pray for that. But then finally, it says in verse one, that if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. It is a noble task to step up in this type of of leadership, it is noble. We think Winston Churchill was noble. We think that other leaders in society are noble, but this task, this task of serving as an, as an officer in the church is a noble task. And I love 1 Timothy 3.1 because it lays that out for us. So why is this passage, back to Exodus 18, why is it important for all of us today? It is important for you, it is important for your children, it is important for all of you because it affects your life. Who leads your church? Who are the under shepherds? Who are the officers who are called? You are involved in nominating people for those offices. They get trained, they get assessed, they get examined, and then you are responsible for voting for them. Not only that, but there are many of you in this room who in God's providence, not all of you, but you will find that your place in the body of Christ, your most strategic role, just might be to be an elder or a deacon in this church. Now, there are many, many other places in the body where God calls you, and all of them are valuable, but this topic of who, in a human perspective, leads the church is vital to all of us. And you may have noticed as that scripture was read from Exodus 18, that the Bible is so relevant. It is relevant to all of you who are in business leadership, political leadership, education, and in all sorts of roles in this church, whether you're in Splash, whether you help lead the youth, whatever role it might be. If you're in a missionary organization, such as Crew or another organization, wherever you might be, this passage is powerful and speaks to us. So here's what we wanna do as we go through this text. There are gonna be three parts to this sermon, three points. First of all, we're gonna talk about how there's an error to avoid in this passage. There is something to avoid in the area of leadership. We wanna look at the error to avoid. Second, we're gonna see that there is an example to follow 
in this passage. There is something we can learn from it. There is a healthy way to engage in leadership wherever God has placed you, nonprofit world, profit world, wherever. We'll look at then an example to follow. And third, we will look finally at Christ the chief shepherd because Christ is our model, our example, and indeed the power for leadership. Let's talk first of all about the error to avoid. By the way, when I go through these questions, you might recall that last week I talked about six questions to ask when you're studying the Bible. Is there an example for me to follow? Is there a command to obey? Is there an error to avoid? Is there a promise to claim? Is there a new thought about God? All of those things, those are listed in the weekly update this past week for your own Bible study. So we're gonna actually try on a couple of these questions today. First of all, there's an error to avoid in this passage. So let's go back and look at 13 to 18. That part's in your bulletin. Let's take a look at the error to avoid back in Exodus 18, beginning at verse 13. It says, the next day Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. You can, his he wasn't coming home at night, so that's one problem right there. Verse 14, when, when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning until evening? That was Moses' job. And remember, they'd grown to, by some estimates, a million people. Verse 15, Moses explains. Moses is very sincere here. Moses has good intentions. Moses wants to do the right thing. He wants to serve God, but he says in verse 15, Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God, when they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, what, what you are doing is not good. Well, Jethro here is the first management consultant in history. He's given advice to Moses to manage his situation. And uh, look at the concerns that are here. I wanna give you three concerns right now with Moses' leadership, or three concerns to watch out in your leadership, three concerns that I need to pay about or pay attention to in my own leadership. It's true for our elders, deacons, and all the leaders in this church. Three concerns as far as the error to avoid. One thing we notice here, one concern is that for Moses, this was a one-man show. It was a one-man show. Moses was doing it all, and Jethro said to him, you're gonna wear yourself out. This is not sustainable. You're gonna get burned out. It's not going to last. That is such a key principle, an important error to avoid, and that's why we watch out for that in this church. I could give you so many examples. I wanna refer to, I'm not sure if Bruta Zelke is here today. I see Reed back in the back, back there. And uh, Bruta Zelke is just one example, is leading our hospitality team. And one of the things when we moved to the Geneva School, we were waiting for people to come back to church, it was maybe Britta and one or two other people that were doing all this kind of decor type stuff, set up environmental things in here and setting up the welcome table and all of that. And they've got to cart things from the U-Haul storage unit over to here and get things set up. We've got a baptism they set up for that. 
whatever it might be, communion stuff, all of that, they've got to do that on a regular basis. You and I get to enjoy that, but we notice for a while there that Brit, Britta as a deaconess was having so much of a load on her. But we don't want her to have it be in a one-man show, we, and she certainly does not want that because we want it to be sustainable over, over time. And one of the best things we did was invite several of you to participate in her team. Some of you volunteered to do that because we only want her to serve once a month, not on a weekly basis. So it's things like that where in practical ways we got to avoid being a one-man show. There's a second problem in this passage, and that's what we might call a savior complex. A savior complex. Jim, could I borrow your bulletin for a second? Hopefully that, that wasn't too hard, was it? To, I just forgot some. Let me share a quote with you, though. I talked about the risk of it being a savior complex. I'm not sure if this was true of Moses, but remember Moses' answer to Jethro was, they come to me, they come to me, they come to me. I answer their questions. I resolve their disputes. And it's easy for us to get our significance from what we do for the Lord, and then we will overwork and we will overcommit. So in the quote section of your bulletin, I want to read this quote from Paul Tripp. I think it's an excellent, excellent insight into human nature. For those of us in the room who tend to be high control, for those who tend to overfunction, for those of us who tend to want a payback from our leadership role, he says this, Paul Tripp, human beings are always assigning to themselves some kind of identity. There are only two places to look. Either you will be getting your identity, identity vertically from who you are in Christ, or you will be shopping for it horizontally in the situations, experiences, and relationships of your daily life. We need to watch out for a savior complex. A, I love the story of John the Baptist. In the Gospel of John chapter three, John the Baptist had had this ministry where all these people were coming to him. And one of the things he had to do was begin to let go of all that fame and all of that power when Jesus came along. And so some of the disciples of John the Baptist came up to John the Baptist and said, this Jesus is now baptizing more people than you are. And that was a real test of John the Baptist's heart because he had a lot of fame. He had a lot of the, those horizontal strokes that would give him identity. But one of the things that, that John the Baptist said to his disciples, he said, how many times have I had to tell you, I am not the Christ. I am not the Christ. I am not the Savior. That is one of the greatest things for any leader to be able to say, if you're tempted to overfunction, if you're, tempt, if you're tempted to want the limelight, if you're tempted to not share power, one of the things we need to tell ourselves is, I am not the Christ. So we want to watch out for that. The third thing we see in Moses here is just basically poor boundaries, poor boundaries. A lot of times in the Christian world, there is this belief, there is a works righteousness type of thing where I say, if I can just work harder, if I can do more, and so we're reluctant to entrust others with leadership, we're reluctant to share power. So in effect, Moses, as we said earlier, is over-functioning. People with healthy boundaries, and this is a character thing that we need to work on throughout our life, people with healthy boundaries are able to know the difference between who I am and who others are. 
Those lines are not blurred, those lines are not crossed, so they don't overfunction, they don't overcontrol, they don't are not over-responsible. But also this, good boundaries, to have good boundaries mean it means to be able to know the difference between what is mine to do and what is not mine to do. Give you a good example of that. So I introduced the elders up here to you. We talked about our shepherding plan. And there would be a temptation for those guys as elders to overfunction. And there might be a temptation for you to think that elder needs to be at my beck and call or that whatever it might be and I need to be mentored or be their best friend or whatever it might be. They're willing to do that. They love you. They care. But they also have good boundaries. And so when a person takes the office of elder, what we say to them is you are responsible to people but you are not responsible for people. It is irresponsible to overfunction and not empower people to do things like manage their finances or take responsibility for their spiritual growth or whatever it might be to get a job, the things they need to do as adults in life that they need to exercise responsibility for. So one of the things we want in our church is a healthy sense of boundaries where people can say no when they need to and they can say yes when they need to. That they can know when it's their week to serve and when it's other people's work week to serve. That they step up in the areas that they need to. That they know that, for example, even in financial giving, giving, what's my part is what God's called me to do, but we want everybody to exercise, exercise that financial giving and not just work, rely on just one or two people or just a few people. In all of these areas, boundaries are really important. Let's go on to the second thing that we see in this passage. Not only is there an error to avoid, but there is an example to follow in this passage. There is an example to follow, and we're gonna go into that passage in a moment. One of the things that I've really enjoyed over the past year, this past year has been a time of crisis in leadership. During our congregational meeting, T.J. Sellers referred to that and how, in, a, in effect, if Lake Baldwin Church were a ship on the seas, we've had hurricanes, we've had gale force winds, we've had waves, we've had rain, and God has sustained us through those things and that has been true for those of you that are in business, those are in all sorts of realms of leadership. It's been a challenging time. Uh, one of the people that I've had the privilege of talking with over the years uh, about leadership in the business world is uh, our dear friend of Molly's and mine, Kim Marshall, and uh, her husband, Mark. And uh, they've been a part of our church from the beginning and we have loved getting to know them, but we've had a front row seat sometimes to see Kim's role as a senior executive in human resources and leadership development in a major company. So she currently serves a company that has 25,000 employees in 42 countries. 25,000 employees in 42 countries, and so when she went through the, when, when sort of the pandemic hit, uh, it's actually a vacation resort business around the world, and you can imagine all of the right-sizing of what they were able to do as a company, all the caring for employees, all of the reallocation of resources, decisions being that you have to make strategic decisions around the world while, while also caring for people. And I remember during the beginning of the pandemic, we could hardly even reach Kim because of the load that was on her, not just uh, logistically, but also relationally with people in her life. 
The other thing I got to see her do, uh, her alongside her comp the company with which she works, is that when all of the, the racial conversation happened last summer, where there was all this stuff in the news and there were all sorts of, all sorts of ferment and conversation within academic settings and in business settings and in church set settings about the whole idea of racial reconciliation and how to create the type of culture in an organization that you want. So we had the privilege of seeing Kim really take that to heart and to see how she and her team in a very large company went through a, a very careful process to really listen to people, to understand people, and to lead her company in the direction of some really, really healthy, healthy ways. And it was just incredible to watch that because when you're in a leadership role, remember, it is, you're under, it's risky because all of your decisions could be judged by a lot of people, especially if you've got a public company like that and everybody's watching you. It is risky. Um, it is a, uh, it definitely makes a difference in the lives of people, but it is also a noble task. And so I love learning from people like Kim and other people I know in this congregation who are leading through tough times. We have here in this passage the advice, the advice that Jethro gives to Moses. So I want you to look at verses 19 to 23. Check this out. And you might have to just, just listen or find it on your phone, but verse 19 says, now obey my voice, this is Jethro talking, I will give you advice and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know, make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. I wanna stop at verse 20 there for a minute. One of the things you see in this passage is the humility of Moses. Moses is willing to accept outside help and outside advice. Think of the humility to admit that you're wrong. You know, I see that, that is such a rare commodity in the world today for leaders to admit an error in their leadership. But that's what Moses is doing here. So notice his humility. Number two, look at what Jethro says to him. He says, Moses, you need to focus on what you can uniquely do. You cannot handle all of these disputes that are coming your way you need to focus on teaching God's laws to the people. In other words, teaching the word of God to people. And so when you think of, for example, we said that the elders in our church are responsible for feeding the flock. What we're talking about is giving proper importance to the teaching of the word of God, both from the front of the church, but throughout Splash and throughout our youth group, throughout our small groups and in our classes, the priority of the teaching of the Word of God. So one of the things we learned from this passage, you and I might live in a culture where, hey, Sunday school's not as cool as it used to be, or you know, I just want a little bit of a little bit of something to get me through the week. But the Bible calls us to learn God's Word. It is beneficial for us. It is really good for us. And Moses needed to be freed up to focus on what he could uniquely do. That's what verse 20 says. Look at verse 21. Then he says, moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. So what we have here is Jethro is saying to Moses, Moses, you need to select some men 
to handle a lot of these things with you. And this is a parallel passage to 1 Timothy chapter 3 where it talks about the qualifications of elders and the qualifications of deacons. And what's happening here is that Moses needs to entrust responsibility to people. Philip Ryken, in his excellent commentary on the book of Exodus, talks about three implications of this process of what healthy leadership structure looks like in a church, what a system of care looks like in a church, or in this case with Moses, three characteristics. First of all, number one is to look for mature leaders, to look for mature leaders. Notice what he says in verse 21. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who first of all fear God, in other words, examine their relationship with God. Learn about their relationship with God. When we interview, we, the, uh, the elders have, uh, I'm so excited about this. We're praying for four new elders in our church. Our church is growing. We need the leadership. We're praying for that. We have a person being interviewed next week to be a new elder in our church. And one of the things we're going to ask him is, is, does he fear God? We're going to talk to him about his relationship with God. So we see that. Verse 21, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe and place such men over the people. Trustworthy and hate a bribe. In other words, look at their relationship with God, but also look horizontally at their relationships with people. 1 Timothy 3 talks about being above reproach, about not being somebody that is just looking for a fight and looking for a dispute. All of those things, when we examine someone, this is what Moses had to do, is look first of all at the mature character of the men to whom he would trust this responsibility. Now we're not looking for, we're not looking for Jesus here, we're not looking for the perfect person, but there are basic things to have in place when looking for these people. Number one, mature. Number two, we're talking about representative leadership. It says in verse 20 that these people are from all the people. What that means is, in our context, the congregation nominates people for the office of elder. We want people that have a footprint in this congregation, people that you know, people that can represent you in the decision-making of this church. We've talked recently about the role of the elders in our church. These are people that you have elected, that you have nominated, and they represent you in some of these bigger decisions. It is a beautiful thing to have that. So that's the second thing. Mature, first of all, then representative, and thirdly, shared leadership. Shared leadership. So look again at verse 20. It says, place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands. There were some people that would be chiefs over thousands of people, and that was their role to have. But then chiefs of hundreds and chiefs of fifties and chiefs of tens. Do you see? Do you see how the care was set up among the people and all these men were entrusted with these different levels of responsibility? So we say in our church, we have a shepherding plan, elders have a role, they team up with deacons, the deacons have a role. But then our small group leaders play a very, very significant role, leaders of tens or leaders of twenties, whatever they might be. So you've got that first line of defense, those first responders in the area of care. What really is this system of care that we see in this passage and also in 1 Timothy? You, want, you know what it really is? Have you guys ever wondered what the word Presbyterian means? 
You ever wondered what Presbyterian means? And it could conjure all sorts of images in your mind, and we don't, we don't really promote the idea of being Presbyterian as if a, a denomination is the most important thing. We center on the gospel, we center on the basics of Christianity. But I wanna give you a little bit of an insight. I wanna make you proud of the word Presbyterian just for a minute, just for a minute. I want you to like this word, because you know what it means? Presbyterian means elder-led. When you look at the word in the Bible, in the Greek, it's presbyteros. You go, who knew? Who knew that presbyteros meant elders? That's all it means is elder-led, which means it's not a one-man show, which means it's not having a savior complex, where it does it, what's not over-functioning, but it's elder-led. It's a plurality of leaders, and that's what we see in the scriptures. I love Proverbs 11:14. 14. Proverbs 11:14 14 talks about the whole idea that in abundance of counselors, there is safety. Over this past year, a lot of you have asked about decisions that we've made as elders, like how do we handle uh, the shutdown? How do we handle our reopening? How do we decide when to wear masks or not? All those types of things. And I'm like, I am not a scientist. I am not a doctor. I don't have total wisdom but it's been so helpful to have a team of people and a collective IQ among our elders, among our deacons, and among many of you so that our decisions would be informed by wisdom and how best to care for the flock. I think of our own case and our church of coming across the racial conversation. It wasn't a new conversation. It's not like we just started caring about it last summer, but it was so visible the elders literally took time, took meeting after meeting after meeting to, to go to school on those topics, to learn about those topics, to be informed culturally, to be informed biblically so that as a church we could chart the course to be what we always wanted to be, a church that welcomes all cultures, a church that has an Ephesians 2 vision of unity and diversity and reconciliation to be the kind of church biblically gospel-centered that God's always called us to be. But the elders were involved in that process because in the coming years, we want to give healthy leadership to the development of this church and to the body of Christ. So I love Proverbs eleven fourteen. In abundance of counselors, there is safety and it is such a joy to have so many people in this church who are a part of that process. Hey, is there a promise to claim, by the way, in this passage? We see what a, what a great solution this is for Moses, what a great solution it is for us. I want you to notice the promise in verse 23, because this is really good news for all of us. This is Jethro, the first management consultant. He says in verse 23, if you do this, God will direct you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure. In other words, it's sustainable. The church goes on. The people go on. Nobody gets burned out. You will be able to endure. And then finally, all this people will go to their place in peace and in safety. People will be well-led. That, you guys, organizational stuff like this is beautiful, not because you have to love organizations, but it's beautiful because of the effect it has on your leaders and on your people. And that's why that is so vital to the future of this church. We would not be where we were today if not over the years, you all, if you had not been involved in being developed as leaders and people stepping up in all kinds of roles in this church. Now, some of you might say, well, Mike, it's, it's daunting, leadership's risky, puts me, you know, all sorts of challenges. I wanna leave you with this, this thought. 
and that is Christ the chief shepherd. Christ the chief, chief shepherd. If you go to 1 Peter chapter 5, which we referred to earlier where it says the role of the presbyteros is to shepherd the flock, it says that when Christ returns, when the chief, chief shepherd returns, we will receive the unfading crown of glory. I've talked about how we have, we have a few veteran elders like Richard Hostetter and Bart Johnson. You guys, these are, these are statesmen. These are statesmen in our church. And I am so excited for people like Ed and myself and, and TJ and Dwayne to be around these guys and to learn from them. And in the coming years, we dream of the day that there will be the other elder statesmen that God will raise up within our church but they look to Christ the chief shepherd. They don't believe they're that great. They don't believe they're that needed. They don't look at it that way because they look to Christ the chief shepherd who said first to Peter, feed my sheep. That's what we get to do and that's why it's a noble task. So what do we have in Christ? Number one, Christ is our pattern. Christ is our pattern. John 13, it says that Jesus uh, washed the feet of his disciples. One of the places in, in my background where I first became an elder before I was a pastor, they gave, when I was ordained, they gave me a towel so that I had this visual picture that I am called to serve people, not to lord it over people, but to serve them and to wash their feet. Because Jesus said, if I, your Lord and Master, wash your feet, then you all should wash one another's feet. Jesus is our pattern. But secondly, Jesus is our strength. 2 Timothy 2.1 Paul writes to Timothy, who was a pastor in Ephesus, but he was young. He didn't feel like he was old enough to lead all these people. And Paul said to him, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And so he is our strength. And then finally, the third thing I would say is that he is our reward. He is our reward. It says that when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And in, in talking about Bart and TJ and their work and the other elders as well, one of the things they repeatedly say is we're not looking for a reward. We're not looking for a payback. Why is that? Because they look to Christ for his reward. Now we in this room should esteem them highly in love. The Bible calls us to that. The Bible calls us to align ourselves with these elders. And that's, but they themselves know that their reward comes from Christ himself who is the chief shepherd. Well, I'm going to stop right there, but I just thank God for the beauty of his word. I thank God for all of the leaders in our church, whether it's with youth or with Splash, our serving teams. Uh, it is so valuable to take a passage like this and think about how we all fit in with that. Would you close in prayer with me? Our Lord Jesus Christ, we praise you that you are the chief shepherd who knows us, who feeds us, who leads us, and who guards us. Would you in the coming weeks and months and years be the chief shepherd of Lake Baldwin Church? Would you empower all of those who lead in every arena in this church with your grace? And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.